Welcome to the Christ Community Church Podcast. This teaching was recorded live during our weekend service in St. Charles, Illinois. We invite you to join us in person any weekend in St. Charles, DeKalb, Aurora, or Streamwood. Learn more at cccLife.org. And now, enjoy the message. Well, I recently learned about an occupation that I didn't really realize existed, but once I heard about it, I realized, oh, obviously someone's got to do that. It's called location scouting. A location scout works in the film industry, and their job is to find the place where a TV show or a movie or a commercial are actually shot. Like, what actual place do you actually do the film shoot? And this person goes out and finds it. The key skill for a location scout is this, imagination, imagination. You got to remember, when someone writes a movie, it basically exists on paper and in someone's head right? It's, you, they've got a description of the scene that they're going to they're gonna shoot, and they've got lines of dialogue. They've got some action that's going to go on there, maybe some sketches of some of the shots they hope to do. But for the most part, it exists on paper or in the mind of the writer or the director. And so what a location scout needs to do is they need to read that script, and they need to talk with the director, and they need to absorb the vision that they have for what kind of scene they're trying to shoot. And then with that in mind, they've got to go out into the real world and find it. And so that's what they do. They've got to go and walk down a city street and not just see what's there, but see a sci-fi dystopia. Or they need to see a chase scene or an 18th century period romance happening in that space. They need to be able to look beyond what is there to see what could be. They need to absorb the vision of the director so much that they can go into a place and say, ah, I could see it happening here or here or here or here. I think it's a really cool analogy when you think about it for what God has sent us, his people, out to do. This is what Jesus sent us out to do. We're supposed to know the desires, the will, the the vision of God so well that when we go out into our workplaces and our homes and our neighborhoods and everywhere we go, we can say, oh, wait, I can see beyond what is to what could be. I, I can see a vision of what God wants to do in this space if he arrives. I think having that sort of a vision changes how you pray. It changes how you pray. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. We're currently in a series called Pray It Like You Mean It. All summer long, we're going to be studying the prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. It's called the, the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father. And we're going through it line by line because this is what Jesus taught us as a way to say, here's how to have a meaningful prayer life. So we're going to start reading this in verse 9 of Matthew chapter 6. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Let's thank God for speaking to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. This week, the line of this prayer that we're focusing on is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. How do we pray this part of the Lord's Prayer? I'm going to give you three ways that will help you do this. First is this. If you want to pray your will be done, you need to be able to imagine God's will. You need to be able to imagine God's will. Let me unpack the second half of this phrase here. It is really key. It talks about God's will being done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, when most of us hear the idea of heaven and earth, this is the story that we sort of tell in our head. We say, okay, I'm here on earth, and God's way far away in heaven, and I hope that one day when I die, I will leave earth, and I will go to be with God in heaven. 
And so most of us, we think this is the, the main story of the Bible. It is the story of what Jesus did and what I need to do to make sure I go to heaven when I die. Now that is sort of the story that's going on, but it's sort of the funhouse mirror version of the story of the Bible. The actual story of the Bible is more like this. It is not about how to go from earth to heaven. The story of the Bible is how to get heaven into earth. That's what's going on. Most people don't realize that when they first pick up a Bible, and so they get really confused, especially in the Old Testament. Because if you read through the Old Testament, the first 80% of the book, you've got all of this stuff that's very earthly stuff. It's talking about kings and land and laws and all this stuff that's happening on earth. And not once does it mention someone going to heaven. You think, what, what? I thought that was the point of this story. What is all of this material about earth? So this is the actual story of what the Bible is going to do. Let me, let me explain to you. I'm going to actually do a little chart here. Uh, we've used this one before, but I think it's so helpful that I'm going to show it to you again. Um, it is the story of the relationship between heaven and earth in the Bible. On the very first page of the Bible, when you open it up, what you find is that heaven and earth are united. It's very interesting. God's space, heaven, and human space, earth, are actually the same space. This is the idea behind the Garden of Eden. It's a place where God will live, dwell with his people, and where God will rule and his will will be done. It's heaven and earth are united in one space. That's God's desire for all of creation, for those to be the same space, not distant places, but close together. Now, the tragedy of sin, the tragedy of what we call the fall, is that instead of human beings saying, yes, I love this, this is amazing, instead of saying, God, your will be done, we said, no, my will be done. I'm going to do my own thing. And so God said, you know what, if you want a space where your will be, is done instead of mine, I'm going to let you have it. But that's going to drive heaven and earth apart. My space and your space are going to be, going to be apart. And guess what? A place where your will is done is going to be a place of death and suffering and brokenness. And it's not going to go well. So this is what happens on the first three pages of the Bible. Heaven and earth are united, and then they're driven apart by human sin. Now, if you're the sort of person who likes to flip to the end and see sort of, you know, how's this story going to turn out, here's what you'll find on the last page of the Bible. It ends in a very similar place as the, the way it began. It ends with heaven and earth reunited again. This is actually the, the description in, in Revelation 21. It talks about heaven, not people going up to heaven, but heaven descending down to the earth. And the summary statement is this. Now the dwelling place of God is with people. He will dwell with them. They, he will be their God and they will be his people. That's the, the end point of the story. That's where God is driving. Heaven and earth coming back together. Now, if this is the beginning and this is the end, what is God doing in the middle? What, what's, what's going on the rest of the Bible? What's going on is God is creating spaces where heaven and earth overlap. He's creating spaces where they come back together. He's drawing heaven and earth closer to each other. He starts off by doing this in the Old Testament with the people of Israel. This is the whole idea of the nation of Israel. He's saying, we're going to create a space, a people, where this is the point. God lives with them, and their whole culture is built around doing the will of God. Now, this was an imperfect, it was a broken, partial solution to this problem, but this was God's beginning attempt to say, I'm drawing these, these two things back together. Where it really comes to a head is when Jesus shows up. Because when Jesus shows up, we have someone who is fully God and fully human. And so when he, wherever he is, heaven and earth literally are joined. God's space and human space are together. So wherever Jesus goes, he declares, the kingdom of God has arrived. The kingdom of God has arrived. 
And so diseases are healed and the dead are raised and sins are forgiven and hearts are transformed. People are brought together. Justice is done. This is what happens when God's space invades human space. Now, again, this is not going to be fully completed until Jesus returns. But between now and then, these are our marching orders. This is what he sent us out to do. We're supposed to go into each area of our life, each area of influence that we have, and say, how can earth look a little bit more like heaven? How can these things be brought together? And this is where that whole idea of a location scout comes into play. This is what we're doing. We're saying, I can see the vision of the kingdom of God. I see what it's like. And I'm looking at my home, my neighborhood, my world, and saying, how could that happen? And this is how we learn how to pray. What we do when we pray is we say to the Holy Spirit, we say, okay, Spirit, what would it look like in this situation for a little bit more of heaven to show up? So when you're reading the news, you you read stories of nations that are at tension with each other and unjust laws and people spewing hate. And you read those things and you say, what do I do about this? And you say, God, what would it look like if the kingdom showed up in these situations? How, how, how would people be responding? What would be, would be happening there? And you start to pray, God, let that happen in these situations. You, you go to work. You got a, a tough situation. You got to make a hard decision. You got you to decide between this priority and that priority. Or maybe there's tension between people in your, your, your workplace. Or maybe you don't have all the things you need to, get, to do the things you need to do. And you're saying, God, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And you say, okay, what would it look like if heaven invaded a little bit of this space? And you start saying, okay, this is how people would interact with each other. These are the things we'd prioritize. This is the things that we'd have. And you start praying, God, let those things happen in my workplace. You go home. You you see uh, your your family sitting around the table eating a meal. And you say, okay, God, what would it look like if heaven showed up at this family dinner? How would we be talking to each other? What would our tone of voice be? What would the topics of conversation be? Who would be invited to this meal that isn't here right now? And you start praying, God, I want that to be what my home life looks like. Some of you are about to go off to college. In a couple of weeks, you're going to pack up and you're going to head out and your freshman year is going to start. And you're imagining all sorts of things, I know. You're thinking, oh man, this is what I really hope it's like. I hope this is what my roommate's like. I hope this is how classes goes. This is what I want to do. These are the activities I want to be involved in. And yet there are other things you're imagining and you're thinking, Ugh, this, is, this is what I'm afraid of. It makes you anxious and you can picture those things. And you're like, Ugh. here's what I challenge you to do. Don't just think about what you want or what you fear. Ask the question, God, what's your vision? What do you want for my college experience? And start praying for those things, praying for that kind of relationship with your roommate, that kind of activities on the weekend, that kind of studying and classwork, that kind of participation in in church and activities and those things. Start praying for those things, God's vision to happen for that. This is what it means to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You grab a hold of a situation on earth and you grab a hold of what the vision of heaven is and you say, God, bring these two things together, unite them. And as you do this, you're gonna notice some things. First is this, you will start to pray bigger prayers if you start imagining this way. You, you will realize, wait, 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 I'm praying for heaven to show up in this situation. I have set my sights too low on what I expect to get out of prayer. And you'll start to pray for impossible things for diseases to be healed, for, for hundreds, thousands, millions of people to come to Christ, for centuries of injustice to be overturned. You're going to pray these massive, huge prayers of what you want to see in the world. You may also find, though, that you start praying really small, precise prayers. That you say, if heaven showed up just for this person, what would it look like? In this situation, I pray that they would choose kind words over arrogant words. I pray in this situation that they would be able to sleep through the night. That would be just a little bit of heaven for them. 
I, I pray that in this situation, they would choose to sacrifice their own needs for the sake of somebody else. Very precise prayers like that. That you might also find that you pray for yourself even more. I was kind of summarizing what I was going to talk about uh, backstage last night. And Larry Stratton, one of our pastors here on staff, he said, you know what? If heaven showed up in this place, I would be different. And you're going to find yourself praying for yourself saying, God, if heaven showed up here, the first thing that would change is I, I would be humble. Make me humble. I, I would have faith to do hard things. Make, give me courage. Uh, open my eyes to see people the way you see them. Soften my heart. You're going to start praying for heaven to show up in your own heart. And I know for sure what will happen is this. If you start praying for God's kingdom to come, God's will to be done, is you will start to have really counterintuitive visions of what should happen in the world. Because God's kingdom is an upside-down kingdom. So you're going to start praying for people to find strength in weakness. You're going to start seeing losing your life as a way to gain it. You're going to find more joy in giving than receiving. You're going to pray for the wise to become fools and the weak to become strong and the nobodies to become heroes and the proud to be humbled. God's kingdom is one where the last are made first and the first are made last, where the cross is the path to the crown. And so when you pray for the kingdom, it's going to be a bold move. To pray for heaven to show up on earth is a way of pushing back against the way things actually are. One theologian put it this way, prayer is rebelling against the status quo. It's rebelling against the status quo. It goes back to what Pastor Corey talked about last weekend. When we see treason against the kingdom, what we need to do is cry out, God, this is not the way it's supposed to be. Do something about it. What would it look like? What would it look like in your life if things on earth happened the way they did in heaven? Can you imagine that? Now, I'm going to move on to the second point, but I will do, before I do that, I want to take a little bit of an aside here. Because uh, as soon as we start talking about praying for God's will, a question comes up for a lot of you. I know you're thinking this. You're thinking, why do I even need to bother to pray that? <laughs> I, I mean, if you're praying for God to do what he wants to do, that's what it means to pray for his will. Of course he's going to do that, right? Like, isn't God just going to do what he's going to do no matter what I say? Like, he certainly doesn't need my advice to run the universe. You know, there's nothing I can tell him that he doesn't already know. Like, what's, what's the whole point of this? Or at least, what's the point of praying anything beyond your will be done? Like, why specify anything? Like, eh, you know what's best. Your will be done. End of prayer. Very short, right? This question opens up a whole lot of other questions, some very tricky theological ones, like how much of what goes on in the world does God determine? How does human freedom play into all of this? Does God ever change his mind based on prayer? Those are very complex questions, and they will lead you down the rabbit hole. It's very interesting. I wish I could unpack those right now, but unfortunately, this is not the sermon for that. But I can say one thing that I think helps me with these sorts of questions. It's a way to kind of reframe what you think is going on in prayer. It is helpful to not think about prayer as sort of offering God advice or suggestions. And it's not, it's not helpful to think of prayer as offering him information, like informing him about a situation. I think it's better to think of prayer like this. It's partnership. It's partnership. Why does grandma invite her grandson to make cookies with her? You ever ask that question? I, I swear this is related, okay? Why does grandma say, come and make cookies with me? Is it because grandma doesn't know how to make cookies without him? Is it because grandma finds his, him very helpful in the kitchen? Is it because grandma says, you know what, this is gonna go a lot easier if I have my grandson join me? No, of course not. It would be so much easier for grandma to just make the cookies herself and serve them up and it would be wonderful, right? So why does she invite her grandson to make cookies with her? It's because she delights in the partnership. 
She, she wants him to be involved. They both get more joy by doing it together. It actually elevates him into an activity he wouldn't be allowed to do if it wasn't for her. Partnering draws their hearts together in a way that just doing it separately doesn't. Now, no, pay attention to this. Just because grandma could make the cookies on her own, and just because the grandson couldn't make the cookies on, on his own, doesn't mean that his actions are meaningless when he helps her. He really does crack the egg. He really does mix the batter. He really does turn on the oven. They're still following grandma's recipe, her plan. She's still ensuring that cookies get made no matter how much of a mess that he makes. But his actions do matter in them getting done. This is how it is with us in prayer. God doesn't need our prayers. He doesn't need us to tell him what to do. He can do whatever he wants without us, but he doesn't want to do it without us. He's going to ensure that his purposes are accomplished. He's going to accomplish whatever he intends to do in the world, but he doesn't want to accomplish it without our prayers. He wants to do it as a way of responding to our prayers. That's the way he wants to bring it about. The partnership matters to God, and it should matter to us. Now, again, I know there are more questions behind that, and I wish I could unpack that, but that's for another time. Let's look at the second point here of how to pray God's will. If you want to pray God's will, you need to be able to imagine God's will. But in order to imagine God's will, you first need to read God's will. You need to read God's will. Jesus had a best friend when he was here on earth. It's a man named John. And John wrote a letter to a bunch of Christ followers after Jesus was gone. And he wrote about prayer. It's in 1 John chapter 5. This is what he says. He says, this is the confidence we have in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Now, you catch that. If we pray for what God wills, he hears us, and we have what we pray for. If you pray for God's will, he will answer that prayer. If you ask for what he wants, he will give it to you. Now, that's an amazing, amazing promise, but it raises the question, how do you actually know what God's will is, what he wants? This is a question that plagues a lot of us. If you're, if you're a Christ follower, you have probably wondered, okay, what, what does God actually want me to do in my life? Most of the time when we ask that question about God's will, that's what we're doing. We're saying, you know, I got to make a decision. I got to choose this or that. And how do I know God? Tell me, what is your will for my life? And it bothers a lot of us. But what if I told you that knowing what God wants in a situation is actually easier than you think? That he actually has already told us what his will is. How do you know what God's will is? Where do you find it? You find it in this book. That, that's exactly what this is, you realize. This is, this is God saying, here's what I love. Here's what I, I desire. Here's what I want for the world. This is what I'm after. This is the story. This is the, this is the information that you need to know to know what I want. Now, the Bible is not, you know, a magic eight ball where you can sort of shake it up and be like, uh, should I take this job, yes or no? Okay, yeah, okay. Should I move to a new place? Okay. Uh, should I break up with my boyfriend? Okay. Now, obviously... The, the Bible's not going to do that. It frustrates us that, you know, we can't turn to Second Occupations 316 and just, you know, be like, <laughs> there's my job, you know. Um, so the Bible's not going to answer the questions like that. Although, if you want me to answer those questions, I can do that for you, okay? So, uh, yes, take the job. No, a new house won't make you more happy. And, yeah, break up with that guy. You can do so much better, okay? <laughs> Don't come back to me if that doesn't work out for you. <laughs> Here's how the Bible shows us what the will of God is. The Bible tells us all sorts of stories that show us the kinds of things that God's up to in the world and says, hey, this is what he's pursuing. This is what he's doing. Do you catch his heart in that? It's got all sorts of poetry 
that says, that's celebrating the things that God loves and lamenting the things that God hates. And so you pick up his heart in that. It's got all sorts of instruction and wisdom and commands that say, this is the kind of person you ought to be. This is the kind of life you ought to live. And it describes this for us. The Bible paints a vivid picture of what the way things are supposed to be according to God. And so as we do this, as we spend time in God's word, the more we get that, the more it's going to seep into us and we're going to start making those sorts of decisions as we go through life. And it's going to show up in the way we pray as well. Have you ever been in a, a job situation? Maybe you took a new job and you got placed on a, a team that you hadn't been on before. And you join this team and maybe you're having a, a meeting and you're trying to come up with an idea of what you should do for a situation. And so you, you throw out an idea and you're thinking, hey, this is a great idea. At my old job, this would have worked really well. And you think people are going to eat this up. So you throw it out there and instead of it kind of flying, it just sort of flops. And no one picks it up and you're like, well, how come, how come no one thought my idea was any good? But what you find is this, it's probably, you, it's, you're tempted to say these people are idiots, they don't know, know a good idea when they see it, but it's probably this, you don't know the culture of that team or that group well enough to know what sort of ideas go with the grain of what they're doing. But you'll find that when you spend six months, a year with those people on that team, you start to pick up, here are the values, here are the strengths and weaknesses, here are the goals, this is the history and personality of the people that are involved here. So that now, when you make a suggestion, it's like, oh yeah, you get it, you know the context, so your idea makes sense in that place. This is sort of how prayer works. As we get involved in the kingdom of God, when we read this book, we realize, okay, this is what the king is all about. These are his values, this is his heart. These are the goals of the kingdom. This is the, the, the strengths and the culture of the kingdom. And so when you start to pray things, at first it's like, well, I thought that was a good idea, God. Why didn't you want that? But the more you spend time absorbing this, the more the things that you naturally start to bring up in prayer, you say, oh, yeah, that fits. That goes with the grain of the kingdom. Now, that takes time just to really get that more intuitively. But there is a way to kind of jumpstart it, okay? The practice of praying the Bible. You need to pray the Bible. The, the basic idea is this. When you read the Bible, when you come across God's commandments or promises or actions, you notice what's in there and you say, okay, if these are the things God wants, I'm going to pray for those things to happen in my world. Now, praying the Bible is not just some clever idea I came up with or read about. It's actually what people in the Bible do themselves. Did, did you realize that the Bible wasn't written all kind of in one time period? It was written over 1,500 years which means some people who are in the Bible only had part of the Bible to go on. So there's some people in the middle of the story who just have the first few books of the Bible as they're going through their story. So when you read the book of the uh, Psalms, which is kind of in the middle of the story, you realize that, you know what? Every time they're praying these prayers in the Psalms, they are quoting things from the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They're referencing commands and promises and things about God that are there. The language is the same. It's clear that they've been reading that and then writing these prayers. If you look at the prophets, you see how, the way they pray. They're referring back to things earlier in the story that happened, and they're praying about those things. When you go to the New Testament, when in their prayers, they're constantly quoting the Old Testament. Then you realize this is always what people have been doing. They haven't been just saying, okay, I'm going to come up with whatever I can think of to say to God. First, they're listening to God's word, and they're hearing what he has to say, and then they're responding with their own words back to him. They are praying the Bible. Uh, here is why praying the Bible, I think is really, really helpful. It's actually my number one tip if you want to get better at prayer, because it kind of solves three problems. First is this, you don't have to work so hard coming up with something to say. Any of you struggle with coming up with something to say? 
If you just respond to the Bible, you already have a prompt of what to say. Second problem it solves is this. If you are like me and you pray for the same people in your life over and over again, so I pray for my kids and my wife and my parents every day. I pray for my coworkers. I pray for people I know. You find you're going to end up saying the same things every single day. And you're like, uh, this gets kind of dry. If you pray the Bible for them, you will find every day you're praying something different. Because you just turn the page on the Bible and it's something new. You're like, okay, I'm going to pray about this for them. And you turn the page, I'm going to pray about this for them. And it refreshes it for you. Third thing it does is this. You know that what you're praying about is actually something God wants. You don't have to say, well, is this God's will for this person or this situation? You can say, no, 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 no. In the Bible, this is what God loves. And so I'm going to pray those things for this. And you're much more likely to pray the sorts of things that God wants to answer. So let me just tell you practically, here's how it works, okay? If you want to pray the Bible, first, pick a passage. It really can be any passage. Uh, I usually find that a few genres are, are easier than others. Uh, the Psalms, because they're already prayers. Uh, the uh, teaching of Jesus and the letters of the New Testament are usually a little bit easier. But really, any passage will do. I usually just take whatever we're doing in Bible Savvy that day, and that's what I use to pray. Don't spend too much time worrying about it. Just pick something. Next, pick a person or a situation. Uh, usually I have a list of people in my life that I pray for regularly, or if I'm reading the Bible and a situation comes to mind, I'll pray about that, but really it can be anybody. And then third, this is very simple, pray what's in the passage for that person or situation. So if you read about an attribute of God, you pray, God, I pray that this person would experience that aspect of who you are. They think that was amazing. If you see God doing something here, and it's something that would be relevant for them, God's healing someone, or he's, he, he's providing, or he's correcting someone, or he's doing something here, you say, I think that would be something they need in their life. Pray that, that God would do that for them. If you see a command or a virtue or something that's described there, you say, God, I pray that this person would obey that, and they would find joy in doing it. If there's a big truth, an amazing reality that's described in the Bible, you pray, God, I pray that people would get that. This person, they would absorb it into their hearts and it would just, just change them. If there's a, a promise that God makes, pray that they would believe that promise and see it fulfilled in their life. But again, you just pray what's in there. I would encourage you, don't overthink it too much. As you're doing this, just pray what comes to mind. And, and over time, you're going to get better and better at figuring out how to do it. So here, let me uh, do this right now. Let me just give an example of how I might do this, okay? So I'm just going to pick a verse. It is actually just a verse in the Bible Savvy Schedule for today. So today we're reading Psalm 111. Uh, and this is not, I didn't like go hunt the perfect verse for this. I just picked the one for today. Um, and I'm going to pray a few of those verses from that psalm. And I'm going to pray for a friend of mine. I got a friend named Pat. He's a, a former student of mine and Michelle's. And we pray for him every day. And so I'm just going to pray for him right now, okay? So here's what it says in uh, Psalm 111 says, he has caused, God has caused his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. So I'm just going to pray this prayer for Pat. Here's how it might go. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for my friend Pat. God, I pray that he would remember your wonders. I pray that you would bring to his mind things that you have done for him in the past. Things that he knew you were involved in. I know that he's thinking about things in his future right now, and I pray that he would look back on the past, and that would inspire his faith for what you're going to do in his future. God, I pray that he would know that you are gracious and compassionate, that he would experience that. He would call to mind the, the things that Jesus has done for him, the kindness that he's shown, that he would feel deeply secure in your love, your grace, and your compassion. 
God, I, I pray that you would provide for him what he needs. God, I know he's not worried about you providing food, but there are things that he is anxious about. And so I pray that you would give him exactly what he needs today. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I, I, like I said, you don't have to overthink this. It is as simple as praying whatever comes into your mind after you read the Bible. If a line confuses you, you're like, I don't know what that means or how to pray about that, don't sweat it. Move on to the next line that you do understand. If you're praying a line and it inspires you to pray all sorts of things, just keep going with that. Don't try to rush through it. Usually what I do for myself is I say, okay, I'm going to pray until I run out of time or I run out of the passage. And I rarely, rarely run out of the passage. There's always more that it generates for me to pray about. If you want to learn more about how to do this, if you want to dig into this, two resources I'd recommend. First is the book uh, Prayer by Tim Keller. It's got a lot of good stuff about meditating on Scripture and praying Scripture. But then also this book by Donald Whitney called Praying the Bible. It's just like 100 pages long, really short. Uh, you could probably read it in one or two sittings, but it is fantastic, really, really practical. Highly recommend that. Let me make one final point. Here's the biggest challenge when you want to pray, your will be done. It's hard to pray that prayer unless you actually want God's will. You need to want God's will. The, the series is called Pray It Like You Mean It. And that really is a big hang-up for a lot of people. They, they say, how do I pray something when I'm just not feeling it? Like, how, how do I actually let that come out of me if, I'm, if my heart's not there? There's a lot of people who think, until I mean it, I can't pray it. What people don't realize is that a lot of times, you have to actually pray yourself into meaning what you pray. You actually have to let the act of praying form you into the sort of people, person who wants that. Sometimes you are praying things that you don't mean right now, but you want to mean so that one day you will mean them. This is why I tell people who are exploring Christianity, okay, you know what? I know you're not sure what you think about God or Jesus yet, but you're interested, you're curious. So why don't you start praying? Just start by saying, okay, God, I think I might want to know you. And so I'm just going to ask if you're there, I'd like to know you. Tell me about yourself. Help me know you more. I mean, what have you got to lose to at least throw that out there and say, hey, let me give it a shot. But the challenge with this line, your will be done, is that most of the time, most people don't mean it. Like, think about that. Would you have as much sin in your life if you were constantly like, yeah, God, your will be done. I really mean that. No, of course not. And so you're going to have to pray this more often when you don't mean it than when you do mean it. But the power of the prayer is that the more you pray it, the more you actually become the sort of person who says, yeah, I want God's will. But think about this. What happens if you don't pray your will be done to God? What happens if you don't say that to him? You will say it to something else. You will say it to something else. If you don't pray your will be done to God, you will pray it to something else. Most of us, we think that the options we have in life are either I'm going to say your will be done to God or I'm going to say my will be done. But it turns out that's not actually true. We, we live in a world where people are constantly, constantly trying to tell you, here's what you should do. Here's what you should want. The $250 billion is spent every year in this country on advertising. You know what that means? That quarter of a trillion dollars is aimed to do one thing, to shape your desires, to get you to do things they want you to do. There are the most brilliant psychologists and communicators in the world armed with gobs of data about human behavior and the most amazing artists and storytellers there are trying to bend your will to theirs, to tell you what you should want. If you don't pray to God, your will be done, you're probably going to pray it to them. You're going to do their will. There's a device in your pocket right now, and in just a little ding or a little buzz, 
it can command you to do something, right? You, you, you know, like that buzz goes off in your pocket. You're like, I got to check it. I got to check it. I got to check it. I can't check it right now. I'm in church. I can't check it right now. And you're like, okay, I'm just going to check. Your will be done to your phone. That's what goes on. If you don't pray, your will be done to God. You're going to pray it to something else. You're going to pray it to the politicians who want your vote or your voice or your outrage. If you don't pray it to God, you're going to pray it to your career to, to say, this is what I have to do to get ahead. You're going to pray it to your money. You're going to pray it to your boyfriend because you don't want to lose him and you got to give in to what he wants, just like you did with the last guy. You're going to pray it to your peers who are all doing this or to your kids who are demanding that or your parents who expect this. Our culture loves to tell us that you're free. You can do whatever you want. Just make your own choices, follow your dreams. But the reality is our culture is also constantly telling us what our dreams should be. It's always telling us this is what you should desire. And we think, okay, no, no, I'm just going to think for myself. I'm going to look inside, find out what I want. But it's not actually possible because we're constantly, constantly being bombarded with things that say, do my will, do my will, do my will. And aren't you tired of that? Aren't you worn out from doing that? I, I would love, I would love to be more free from being tossed around by all those voices around us. Here's what I found. I found the only way to live sane in a world that is constantly making demands of you, is to start off by saying, your will be done to God. You gotta say, above everything else, God, through all of the clutter and all of the fray, all of the voices, you're the one who actually, actually knows what's going on. You're the one who's wise and good and you want what's best for me. And so I'm gonna say to you, above everything else, before I consider those other demands, your will be done. That's the way you live free. Now, the thing about this is that might sound good, but it assumes that you believe that God has your best interest in mind, that you trust his will. But a lot of us, a lot of us would be, if we're honest, we're saying, I, I'm not sure I trust God. <laughs> I'm not sure I actually want his will to be done. I'm afraid of what might happen if I let him do his will in my life. So what do you do if you're in that situation? You say, I don't actually trust him enough to pray your will be done. A few suggestions. First is this, tell that to God. Just tell him, you know, don't avoid him. This is what most people do. When you feel like, ah, I don't trust God, we run away from him. But what we actually need to do, this is kind of like one of the fundamental rules of growing spiritually, is anything, anything can help you grow, inside or outside of you, as long as you let it drive you towards God rather than away from God. So if you don't trust God right now, you've got reasons you don't trust him, you, what you do is you say, all right, God, I'm going to talk to you about that. Here's why I don't trust you. I don't want to surrender my will to you. It's better than running away and hoping that it resolves itself because if you do that, it probably won't resolve itself. The only way it resolves is if you go to God in prayer. Second thing I'd say is this. Pray the Lord's Prayer in order. Jesus was a genius, and so he knew what he was doing when he wrote this prayer. If you start off with, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, you will spend time saying, Okay, this is what God is like. He is faithful, and he is good and he is loving, and he is gracious, and he is wise, and he is just, and he is fair, and he is amazing. And the more you do that, the more you say, you know what? Actually, this is somebody I could trust. And then you move on to the prayer, your kingdom come. And you say, God, what is it that you want in the world? What's, what's the vision of the kingdom you're trying to bring about? And you realize, oh, this is a kingdom of peace, and a kingdom of justice. This is a, a kingdom where every person is taken seriously, and every need is met. This is a kingdom where light overcomes darkness and life overcomes death and love overcomes hate. And you look at that and you say, wow, I want to be a part of that. And if he's the guy who dreamed this up, well, I, I can trust him. That, I, if that's his will, I want it. So by the time you get around to saying your will be done, 
You've already spent time saying, okay, this is someone I trust to surrender my will to. Third tip I'd give, and this is the most important one, is remember, remember the time when Jesus prayed, your will be done. Before you pray your will be done to him, remember the time when he prayed this. We're actually going to read this story coincidentally. I don't really believe in coincidences, but coincidentally, we're going to read this story in Bible Savvy this week. Before Jesus went to be crucified that night, he went to the Garden of Gethsemane. He went there to pray about the situation that was coming up. And you can imagine what was going through his mind. He had known, he had known from the very beginning that this was the purpose that he came into the world for. That he was going to give his life, he was going to lay his life down for people. He was going to be killed. He, he knew it from before he arrived. He actually knew it from the plan that he and the Father made before the creation of the world. He said, okay, this is my purpose, this is what I'm going to do. And all his life, he, it was leading up to this, he was anticipating it, but then on the night right before it happened, the entire weight of what was about to go down landed on Jesus. And he's looking at this and he's thinking, this is, this is real, this is happening. And he prays a really honest prayer. He says, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. He, he, he says, God, I, I, if I gotta do this, I, I, don't, I don't want to. <laughs> And so he's thinking about, okay, this is what the physical suffering is going to be like. This is the injustice of it. This is how shameful it's going to be. And more than anything, he's thinking, all right, the sin of the world is going to land on me. And the wrath of God is going to fall on me. And I'm going to drink the cup of punishment. And for the first time in all eternity, I'm going to be separated from my father. And so you can understand why he'd say, is there another way, God? Is there another way? But then Jesus said the words that saved the world but not my will, but your will be done. That moment, that was the decision where Jesus said, it's happening here and now. I'm gonna do the will of the Father. What would motivate Jesus to say to God in that moment, your will be done? I think there are probably a lot of things that motivated him. But one of the things is probably that he knew his father. He knew his father was trustworthy and good and wise probably also motivated by the fact that he knew no matter how deep the suffering was, the victory would be that much greater on the other side. So he knows, I'm going to go through this, but the, but the glory on the other side is worth it. But I also know that what motivated him was this. He knew that the only way, the only way that you could be rescued, the only way that we could be brought into his family, that we could share in his glory, become like him, have our sins forgiven, the only way is if he went there and did this. And so the reason Jesus said, your will be done to the Father, was because he loved you. Now here's the question you've got to ask. Who are you going to trust enough in your life to say, your will be done to that person? Because you're going to say it to somebody. I think someone who would make that sort of a decision for you is worthy of your trust. Someone who would say, I will give everything for your well-being, for your salvation, for your life. I will lay it all down. That's someone who you can say, all right, your will be done. We're going to take a moment now, and I'm going to give you a chance to pray. I, I, we're just going to take maybe a minute in silence. And there's a chance to say to God, okay, your will be done. Maybe there's a situation in your life that, that's been weighing on you, and you need to pray. God, I want you to break in, bring a little heaven to this situation. Maybe there's something in your life that you're holding on to and you're not willing to let God do his will in that area. Maybe this is a time to say, okay, God, here it is. Here's why this is hard, but I want you to take it. I'm just going to give you 30 seconds, 60 seconds to do that. And we'll just do it in silence in, in, in our hearts and then I'll bring us together to pray.
Go ahead and do that. We're going to close by praying the Lord's Prayer together. We're going to put it on the screen here. Uh, we're going to include a part of the prayer that you'll notice we didn't read when we read the passage in Matthew. There's a traditional ending uh, that if you've heard the prayer in other places, you probably are familiar and you were wondering, hey, why isn't that in there? It's not actually in the Bible, but people have been praying it since the second century. It's true and good. So we're going to include it in there out of tradition. Uh, but if you're wondering, hey, where'd that come from? That, that's what's going on. So let's stand together uh, at all four of our campuses. And let's pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.